KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Mono. This is the Henry George Program, show all about land, policy, and politics. In the program, we're going around the uh, Bay Area, going to our neighbors to the north, up in Marin County, and hearing uh, what goes on up there. Uh, we have uh, two guests on. We have Jenny Silva from the Marin Environmental Housing Collaborative, and Warren Wells of the Marin County Bicycle Coalition. So we'll hear all about Marin from the housing, transportation angle, and uh, much more. Uh, let's uh, let's just get into it. So, uh, Warren and Jenny, uh, thank you so much for making it here today. Thanks thank for you. having us. Thanks for having us, Mark. Yeah. So before we uh, kind of introduce uh, you all, let's just uh, you know, Marin County. I think it's it's nationally famous. It's one of those things that kind of you know, when people think San Francisco, it's you know, the neighbors to the north, blah 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 blah. But yeah, well, what is your what is your main pitch for kind of understanding Marin from an outsider's perspective if you aren't really keyed into all the details? I think the most basic thing to think about Marin is it is the home of conservation. It's really where the national conservation movement kicked off. And that has really impacted housing and land use really since the 70s and 80s. Back in the 60s, there was a major development called Marincello that was going to be done with 30,000 units. And very famously, Marin rose up and successfully fought it. And uh, it really has squashed everything since then. In the last uh, five decades, we've been the slowest developing county of all of the counties in the Bay Area. So um, it's a place where people are really proud of their environmentalism and haven't really realized how much it's impacted uh, the community. And just to add on to that, you know, so I work for the, the Bicycle Coalition in Marin, and, and Marin is an interesting study in contrast in that regard. You know, it's it's the it's actually the home of mountain biking is kind of where the, the sport of mountain biking was invented. And it really is kind of a, a, a paradise for for riding recreationally. Um, but it is a place where where riding for transportation actually ha- ha- they've made some great investments, but but really is still a challenge compared to you know, San Francisco or Berkeley or Davis or other places that have um, have been have made more focused investments. So, um, you know, we have kind of and, and, and it is a place where there's a great deal of very vocal opposition to reconfiguring roads to make them, uh, you know, more bicycle or pedestrian friendly. So, again, you have this sort of study in contrast between, you know, being the home of, bike, of mountain biking, but also um, a real challenge toward toward progressive um, policies in that regard. So I, I think from a perspective I always had, kind of, kind of tongue in cheek, uh, which is, I mean, the, as as Jenny was saying, it, the founding mythology of modern Marin County is Marincello defeating this this plan to develop the headlands and saving nature. And honestly, I say, yeah, that's that's great. My biggest question, Marin, it's like, okay, so if it's all about preserving nature, why do people live there? Why, why, why don't we just make it all a preserve, you know? And I guess as people who live in Marin, uh, maybe I'll, I'll put you like on the spot, say, what is the case for people living in Marin? You know, what is the future of Marin where people and nature can coexist uh, instead of it being just nature? Well, we are part of one of the largest economies of the world. I don't think we really have a choice to uh, pretend that we're not part of the Bay Area. But I would say that there is not necessarily a conflict between open space and housing. Um, What I always say to people is you can have two of the three things. You can have open space, you can have low density, or you can have affordable housing. 
And um, Marinites haven't really come to terms that they can't have all three. And I actually think there are a lot of people in Marin who would choose to have the open space and higher density if they can have affordable housing. But right now we just um, always fight the high density and we fight for open space. So we've ended up with very unaffordable housing. And, you know, American settlement in Marin is is quite old, you know, like it was based around rail infrastructure and, and the ferries, right? Like so and there there is a substantial amount of Marin that is pretty relatively densely developed as far as like, you know, US suburbs go. Um, and I think that 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 the case can be made again, like kind of Jay was saying, that like just densifying those places, you could get a lot more than, you know, Marin's quarter million uh, people in it and still keep the rest of, you know, the headlands and, and West Marin, you know, looking the same as they do today, which, you know, I, you know, I, I, I you know, I kind of, I, Jenny and I were talking about this the other day. I think you, you, you know, one can struggle with this, this balance here. I think we need more housing in, you know, all of California and Marin in particular, um, but I don't, I don't want to see a bunch of tracked housing in West Marin and the Headlands. I mean, it is something, I think that open space is something that, that one can enjoy. I think like the Headlands are some of the most beautiful, it's like kind of one of the most beautiful places. And incredibly, it's great to have this like nature access so close to one of the biggest population centers in, in America, San Francisco. Like people really can walk or, or bike or drive across the Golden Gate Bridge and, and be there in, in the Headlands, you know, in, in minutes. But I think that Marin shouldn't shouldn't shirk its share in in terms of actual housing production. But there's plenty of places to do it. There's plenty of flat, you know, like one story uh, residential in the rest of the county. Well, there's two related facts I always like to share with people. I'm just outside of Sausalito, and um, Sausalito currently has a a population of about seven thousand people, and it's actually been declining. But in World War II, um, they actually had a population of 30,000 people. So the idea that we are full and we can't add more people is just not historical. Um, The second thing I like to point out is if we had the density of Paris, we'd have almost 100,000 people living in Sausalito. So there's a lot more room before we start invading the open space of Marin. I think that the second question uh, is, as far as okay, if you say okay, Marin is part of the Bay Area, it's a real pain that isn't better connected. You know, Warren was saying you can bike and walk if you know you happen to be right at you know the headlands, but most don't. I mean, uh, so as far as people flowing in and out of the county, there's many tens of thousands, sixteen thousand people. Uh, no, it's twenty nine thousand people work in San Francisco, live in Marin. Uh, but of that, sixteen thousand of those people drive a car alone to get to work. Uh, you know, five thousand take a bus, five thousand take ferries, but you know, but wide majority are cars. And I think when you talk about people coming from the east side past San Quentin, you know, coming from Contra Costa, like that's pretty much all car traffic. You know, so it's 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 a it's a real missed opportunity. We didn't get Bart across the bridge back in the day. As the population grows, is is it going to be better connected, or how are we going to manage this? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, people, there's actually, you know, the original BART plan for the, the, the BART district back in the, uh, like the early 60s, the late 50s, early 60s, when, when the original planning was uh, was being done, was to have, you know, BART crossing the Golden, Golden Gate Bridge into Marin. And as, kind of, as legend has it, it was, you know, Marinites that, that blocked it, which is actually, at least, you know, per the official history of BART, not true. Uh, it, it seems that the Golden Gate Bridge District was the one, were the ones who who kind of sabotaged that effort. 
probably because they didn't want uh, competition for bridge revenue because you get like that. The, the way the bridge district exists, exists is by having tens of thousands of cars cross it every day. So they funded this additional study that like the show that the bridge wouldn't be able to, to, um, to have BART running on it. And obviously it's too deep to, to do another tube under the, under the Golden Gate Strait. Um, that's just a bit of history. I mean, I, I, I think you're, you're right that we really, you know, the connections are not great. You know, we have fair, we have, you know, ferries from Tiburon, Sausalito and Larkspur, which, you know, kind of are, are great when they're running, but they're not, you know, they're not incredibly frequent. Mm. There's no, you know, rail transit between Marin and, and the Bay there's, there is, or like, there was much more frequent commuter bus tra uh, transit over the Golden Gate Bridge run by uh, the Golden Gate Bridge District. Some of that has commuter bus has been killed by the pandemic. Like so many people who who were doing who were commuting by bus are now working from home um, several days a week. So uh, and, and offhand, I, I don't love I mean, there's a big I mean, there's a bridge fare. Uh, there's a toll one way, which is you know pretty reasonable to take the bridge by car. But the cost of the fare for the commuter bus is $16 round trip, you know, kind of as a baseline. And like, sure, you know, I mean, like if, if it's more expensive, I get why people drive. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. And it's the same thing for the Richmond Santa Fe. It's about twice as expensive to take a bus in both directions as it is to drive. There's just yeah. a toll one going one direction, um, <laughs> you know, and I guess with uh Maybe it's more defensible with with uh, the Richmond Santa Fe because that's two different agencies. But Golden Gate Bridge District runs both the buses that cross it and the tolls, and that's a choice for them to like. I mean, I mean, I'll say as it is, the bus is subsidized by the car traffic, but the degree to which the subsidy that, that they do that subsidy is up to them. So, uh, but if like, well, what is what is the future as far as construct? Let's say that you really explode the population in the dense urban centers of Marin. How do you manage, you know, people going in and out? Is there going to be a massive infra infrastructure project? Well, well I, I think more people go, I mean, I could look this up real quick if we want to, uh, if we want to, but I think more people go into Marin every day than, like, or moving in, going into Marin to work than going out. And at least the people who are going into Marin are people who are much less likely to be able to do, you know, their their work remotely. So there's there's this inflow outflow problem. Well, you know, every every county has a lot of people coming in and out. Um, I think that you know we need to have a lot more bus service, certainly over the you know Richmond Santa Fe Bridge than there is today. I think that you know with electrification or or got a little hydrification of of ferry service, we could see a lot more you know higher frequency ferry service. And then I think part of that is also just densification of of the the flats near those um, those transit hubs. You know, you look at Larkspur Ferry; no one lives near it. You know, there is a twenty acre parking lot. I, I took I took it once. That's the only ferry I've taken. I took it once just as like kind of you know as a goof to say, oh, let's see what this is about. Whether the you know someone else we're at Larkspur. It's like okay, we saw Larkspur, <laughs> big parking lot. Let's yeah. leave. Yeah, there's a huge parking lot, and then you know some apartments kind of past the you know, a, a commercial development and then really no one else lives near it and that seems and then there jenny you can fill me you can fill in on this because there was like a larkspur you know sp specific plan that got beat back by the city council or, or people this is like 2015 2016 there was a plan to densify near there but it, it didn't happen yeah and, and i don't know about that plan but i do know that in the larkspur housing element that's being reviewed right now there are plans to build a lot more housing around the ferry terminal. And that is a, a great opportunity. But as Warren says, 
a lot of the traffic is coming in to work there. And a lot of the push is to build more affordable housing. And I think most teachers, most bankers, most people that are doing the sort of jobs that you can't afford to live in Marin now, if they had an opportunity, would prefer to do that over commuting from Alameda or uh, Richmond or or many of the places where people commute from. Yeah, I pulled up some. I think it's like 14,000 coming from Contra Costa and then uh, Alameda, and there's 16,000 coming down from Sonoma. And, you know, there's a lot of people <laughs> going in their way. But I'm remiss. Uh, let's let's finally get to uh, who are you folks? Uh, so just a, kind of a brief introduction, how you kind of also how you got you know active in it. Let's start with Jenny. Uh, introduce yourself and kind of what got you to, you know, kind of be active in the space. Um, sure. So um, I'm Jenny Silva. I'm the board chair of the Marin Environmental Housing Collaborative, which is a group in Marin that advocates for more affordable housing uh, with an environmental and racial justice lens. And I've been involved with the group for a couple of years now. And I really got involved in the space um, from a lifetime of following housing and have uh, and seeing the problems, uh, lack of housing causes, and then uh, much more actively after I went through a divorce and was really surprised at how someone with a lot of resources could have such a terrible time finding a place to live. And um, so once some time opened up in my life where I could spend more time advocating, this is what I chose to advocate for. Warren and I met on Twitter, and um, I think we've come to share a lot of similar ideas about land use, but from deaf different angles. So Warren, why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Jenny. Yeah, so I'm Warren Wells. I'm the policy and plan director for the Marin County Bicycle Coalition uh, in my day job. Uh, And I also serve on the board of the uh, Marin Environmental Housing Collaborative, uh, along with Jenny. So actually, Jenny, maybe we might, I might have sent you an email after one of your after a, uh, an article you wrote in the IJ, but maybe I DM'd you on, on Twitter. So yeah, so just, you know, my, so I, I work as a, as a professional bike lobbyist. Um, and, and actually just full disclosure, I do live in the East Bay. I live in Berkeley and commute to Marin, typically over the Richmond San Rafael Bridge one or two days a week, sometimes over the Golden Gate if I'm going to Sausalito. So I've worked in bike advocacy for um, two and a half years after working in uh, private transportation consulting there, you know, learned a lot, but really wanted to start doing more advocacy because it, it matters as opposed to kind of being a bit more BS in the consulting uh, field. And on the housing front, you know, I, I've been kind of working as a, I don't know if I'm totally cost burdened right now. Uh, my wife wasn't working for a number of months when we had our first baby. So we were definitely cost burdened at that point. Cost burden renter living in a, in a missing middle home that couldn't be built today. Um, and I guess, I mean, since, since I moved to California and started getting plugged into conversations around housing and land use, you can't help but be annoyed at it. And then I started, you know, I read, read Conor Doherty's book and started following Cal Yimby and starting to do more, um, you know, volunteer advocacy. And then, you know, Jenny and I connected again, I think, via, via an article she wrote and, and Twitter and, um, you know, had some conversation uh, around what's going on in Marin, and Jenny asked, invited me to join the board uh, of the Environmental Housing Collaborative. Okay, so you've never been a resident, you've always, but you've treated Marin as a place to work, and you know, found it you know, a meaningful place yeah. to do advocacy for that reason. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I've always believed if you can make change on housing in Marin, you can make it anywhere. So I feel like we're a good test case for making things happen. 
It, I mean, yeah, you could say the population isn't big, but it is an ideological powerhouse of the NIMBYs. So perhaps it's, it's important for morale to, you know, uh, do work there. Uh, so, okay, so drilling down into kind of the politics of Marin, you know, Marin uh, has many incorporated uh, cities and towns and a lot of unincorporated uh, areas. Well, like, meaningfully, like, what is a pecking order? San Rafael is the county seat in the biggest city, right? Uh, but, like, is that how much is San Rafael, like, the real core of Marin County? And how much do these other areas matter? And, you know, what, what's the what's the what, what's the kind of, uh, I guess, solar system of, of different you know, cities and communities? I would probably say Marin County Unincorporated is more of the core of Marin. And you really can't look at any one jurisdiction. I think a lot of what makes Marin Marin is the fact that we've got 12 jurisdictions for 260,000 people. It's um, a lot of government for not a very big population, and it's made local control very, very effective for the NIMBYs. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, obviously, like, you know, all the land use policy does get decided at a municipal level. And like Jenny was saying, there, there, there are 11 incorporated cities and, and then the county, which range, there's kind of like the three big ones. There's San Rafael, which is 60,000, and you have about 50,000 people in both the city of Nevada and in unincorporated county. And the remaining uh, 100,000 people are kind of distributed between the, the smaller cities. I do think that people looked to the county, like again, like Jenny was saying, that the Board of Supervisors you know, only controls land use within unincorporated Marin, but I, I feel like they they loom large. And they also, you know, the, the Board of Supervisors all, has, all have automatic seats on the, tra- the Transportation Authority of Marin, uh, which is the, the county transportation agency, which ends up having, you know, they, they'll, they'll be the ones who are, you know, they'll be writing letters of support or opposition to certain bills kind of involving land use and transportation as well. So they, they kind of bat above the the county supervisors bat above their weight, even though the, they don't oversee land that has more population, even though San Rafael is a larger population. Is, I I mean, like San Rafael is also, you know, it's it's a city with a coherent you know, uh, coherent shape and everything else. I mean, the unincorporated, it, it seems wild to read more about it. The fact it has luxury resort towns and then it has what are the, you know, insofar as there are marginal communities hanging on in Marin, uh, it seems like the the, be- the best example is Marin City, which is unincorporated. And, Confusingly. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like a lot of the battles have to do with the fact that yeah, the unincorporated areas. Why? What is stopping them from making the marginal communities a punching bag? And it seems like they kind of are. I don't know. I mean, this guy. This is a question. Let's get into housing elements. Uh, what is you know what is stopping Marin from putting all the housing in kind of the last remaining you know minority communities and say, okay, we did our job. Uh, how is this looking? How is this all developing? And you know, how is housing elements coming around, especially for unincorporated Marin? I mean, there there is a tension there, but the folks in Marin City are also organized. I would say we have probably put more housing in the housing element in Marin City than we should have. But you can't look at the housing element and say that Marin County put everything into Marin City. They did not. Like I said, I, I would have put less there. Um, but a follow, it is follow question. I mean, I guess like Bolinas, for example, is way, 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 way out of the way. Of course, yeah. like, that's a terrible place to put it. 
where are the better places, or let's say at least to balance it, where would you balance it more in unincorporated Marin? All of the supervisors represent an area, and there was a lot of horse trading between what was fair in the different regions. And so when I think when you look at the end result, it ends up being um, pushed between the different uh, supervisors districts according to the land that was there. And Marin County, for as much as it fights development, there are a lot of places where um, where housing can be built, especially in unincorporated Marin. And there's a piece of land, St. Vincent's, um, where the Catholic charities have been trying to build affordable housing for decades now. We could have easily put the entire Marin County allocation into St. Vincent's. Um, I, I think it's 680 acres. It's a very large piece of land and it's just right outside of San Rafael. So there are plenty of places where Marin County can do it. It's spread a bit, I think mostly for district representation reasons. Yeah. And, and actually I was wondering if we want to just have a quick gloss on what Marin City is for people who are not oh, familiar sure. with okay. it. Just a little... I think the more hand holding the better. Jenny, do you want to tackle the history of this? Or like just some kind of like high level gloss on history of Marin City? Sure. And we should also recognize that the canal is also a marginalized community within Marin that is very important. And that's um, in San Rafael and District 2 of yeah. um, unincorporated Marin. But Marin City is a historically Black area in Marin. It's right outside of Sausalito. It was formed after World War II when the shipyards closed. And many Black individuals had migrated from the south to California to work in the shipyards. And after the shipyards closed, there was no place that they could move to. Most of Marin had red line deeds. And so they couldn't buy housing, they couldn't rent anywhere, and they were really pushed into Marin City. The World War II housing was torn down and then some affordable housing projects built there. And so there are multi-generations families uh, living in Marin City, but it's still a marginalized community and still um, under-resourced. And I should add with it, the history there is really ugly. um, And Marin has a very liberal reputation. And if you look at Marin City, it really um, shows more of the truth of the matter. But the Sausalito Marin City School District was um, desegregated just three years ago, it was the first desegregation order that the state had made in 50 years. Um, and so there is a really ugly history in Marin that is often not recognized. And, and Marin City, the, the built environment in, in Marin City, is really, it, it's like you can see it from space. The entirety of Marin City, again, which is not a city, it is just an unincorporated community, is physically separated from the rest of the county by US 101. There is a single road in and out of Marin City that goes that goes through the interchange with 101. And other than that road, there's no way to get there besides like a few like unpaved fire roads like up in the hills behind it. Um, this road, you know, that's called Donahue, like floods occasionally, sometimes making it like nigh impossible to, to leave uh, the neighborhood. 
And, you know, and, and also there's just the fact that like everyone who lives there is also right next to 101, which is just so their air is polluted by, you know, tens of thousands of people commuting down from the rest of Marin and Sonoma into San Francisco every day. Yeah, I think, I mean, you talk about, you know, the ugly parts of segregation and everything else. I mean, this could become a surprise to, to many. I mean, I think you know, Marin certainly has this kind of granola righteous kind of reputation uh, which I think, even if you take if you take the good faith, you know, uh, of 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 Marin's uh, ideology, uh, you would say, oh, it's it's you know they they didn't realize that the smallest beautiful mindset can still, in the long term, entrench segregation, and you know, doing nothing is not enough. But I, I've been I've been used to years of just seeing a lot of you know explicit and ugly stuff at Marin too. I've been a big fan of the Save Marinwood uh, blog, uh, lovely guy who you know he's the guy who posts MS13 folks and just he has a whole section on uh, affirmatively furthering fair housing and <laughs> why it's evil to attack uh, the suburbs for you know their choice to be white. Dick Spottiswood, uh, the is legendary uh, you know guy who just writes op-eds uh he was i mean they were cheering on the trump administration uh because they were looking to end affh uh and you know it's some people were very very happy to jump into bed and saying oh i love the maga movement if it preserves the marin uh, suburbs uh but is, is that kind of a is that a, a like a minority among views or like how often we get people say oh yeah I, I think i think he's speaking some truth there I think, I mean, and yeah, I'll, 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 Jay, maybe I'll just defer to you to answer the question. I can follow up if I, <laughs> you would have to to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, what I'll say is I think that's the, certainly the minority. I mean, Save Marinwood and the people who are the kind of professional NIMBYs, I think are pretty few and far between. In terms of people in Marin, I think that, you know, I would agree with 90% on people on like, again, like national politics stuff around like guns and abortion and, um, you know, and again, like, but, you know, all politics is local, especially land use politics. And I think that there are a lot of people who, again, this is a charitable reading and maybe I'm being too naive, but I think there are a lot of people, I don't know, like, like talking to my friends and their boom, like their, their parents of a certain generation, um, who just kind of like have kind of slept walked through this, this world and, like, you know, got a house. And now that, you know, in the eighties when it was relative, it was still pretty cheap. Like Marin wasn't incredibly expensive. Like, well, here, my, I should say, full disclosure, my wife's parents live in red and they have a house that was in Novato, which was not expensive at the time they bought it. And that's now worth a whole lot more, um, you know, and, and, you know, no one wants, everyone is the hero of their own story. No one thinks, oh, uh, my supporting our city council's zoning regime is furthering segregation elsewhere in the Bay Area. If you start thinking that, then kind of everything falls down around you. Uh, most people just don't. Um, and I think, but I take a positive spin on it. I think people are reading the articles in the New York Times about, you know, the history of zoning in California and and starting to have, some people are starting to have different views. Jenny and I were talking about how there are more people now showing up to contentious meetings about proposed developments. Who like there's, there's still the people who are coming there and complaining about the shadows and the parking lot, the parking and the traffic. And then there are people who like neither of us know who are showing up and saying, I think this should happen. Sounds great. And then sitting back down. And so I, I think that there are people who are starting to see the bigger picture in this, but I'll, I'll kind of pass it over Jenny. Yeah. And I would agree with that. And there are definitely the dick spots would, and there are definitely the people who are taking it as their life work to prevent change from happening and don't care about the segregated outcomes that they're pushing. 
But when I was on the Sausalito Housing Element Advisory Committee, I spoke to just about everybody who wrote in. And the vast majority of people really do want to see more affordable housing. They just haven't gone through the thought process of if we keep the open space and we keep everything low density, there's nowhere to put the affordable housing. And when you talk with them, they realize, oh, you know, it's not so bad to add a few more stories. I would happily do that if that means our teachers can live in the community. So I think it's more, um, as Warren said, a lot of people kind of sleepwalking through it, having not thought their positions out completely and who are really pretty open to it. And when the there's a building that is being proposed in San Rafael, that's 160 units, it's eight stories, it's by Marin standards, huge, although by apartment standards worldwide, you know, pretty <laughs> insignificant. But there were a lot of people there that came up and said, we need this. This is important to the community. And it wasn't just housing advocates that showed up to support the project. And and people are and people are starting to realize that I think that there are people who are starting to realize that the current arrangement is unsustainable. Like businesses can't staff their coffee shops and restaurants, you know, so, you know, that, that particular project in San Rafael, the chamber of commerce came out swinging for it saying, we need this to happen. Let's let this, let's get this done. It's like, it's in a vacant bank building uh, kind of in the commercial corridor. And, and people were saying, Hey, if we want people, if we want our shops to stay open, we need people who live in the area walking in. So that, that, that's what gives me hope. So I, I guess the other question is, I mean, you, you were sharing an article, uh, New York uh, review of books, I believe was talking about Marin just a few months ago. And the author was kind of keying into the idea uh, too, which is like, oh, sure, these NIMBYs are bad, but do you really want to just build new housing, which may not be that affordable? You know, is this really affordable enough? And I mean, this has been the kind of path of people who are, uh, you know, kind of just NIMBYs in the peninsula. I think it's the path everywhere, which is like, oh, you have to stop talking about property values. You have to stop talking about minorities and you just start talking about, I don't think it's affordable enough <laughs> because like it is very hard to say that, yeah, new housing in a place which is expensive to begin with is ever going to seem affordable on day one or whatever. Uh, is, is this in fact taking hold is the main kind of, you know, trajectory as you see elsewhere? And if two, uh, you know, what, what, what do you say to that kind of line of argument? Uh, if, if you're trying to say, uh, it is worth building, even if uh, even if it doesn't seem like it's affordable enough. Well, what I say when I hear that argument, and I and I do hear it often, is we have a shortage of multifamily housing in Marin. And when we look at these new apartments, and people say, "Oh, but it's market rate; it's too expensive." The reality is, there is very very little multifamily housing in Marin. Period. And any of that multifamily housing is going to be more affordable than the equivalent equivalent single family home. And so it's worth building and it might not be affordable to the person who is checking out the groceries at Molly Stones, but it may be affordable to a teacher um, and their family. And people of Marin, again, you know, this is slow and we're in the beginning, but we are starting to see change. But Many people are seeing that their kids have no chance of living in Marin unless they hit the lottery or they become a hedge fund manager. And, um, you know, there's a lot of parents that would like to see their kids move back. And so I think it's starting to hit home a little bit that, you know, there's no salary in the world that they're 
that their kids can make where they can come home. You know, and, and this just kind of this education that Shane is talking about, like this is what we're kind of, this is what we're trying to do with the organization that, that we both are on the board of, the, the Marine Environmental Housing Collaborative. Like we're trying to help people make that connection, you know, that they can't have all the, the you know, the open space, affordable housing and, and low density development. We're trying to make, the, to, to make it clear to people, hey, like, do you know why your kids can't live here? This is why. You know, or, you know, or, or countering fear is just around, I think, you know, classist or, you know, charitably or racist, uncharitably fears around, you know, low income housing or, or, you know, subsidized housing. We have a piece that, that we're working on right now, which is just like, it's just pictures of all this, like a bunch of different subsidized housing developments that have been built in the last couple of decades in Marin that just look like normal housing. And, you know, it just kind of just try to get around this fear where it's like, People are always upset about a thing that hasn't happened yet. And as soon as it happens, everyone forgets that it was ever a controversy. There are, again, there, there are people who are mobilized and professional and so dug in who are, you know, on the other side who we will never convince. And then there's just this vast untapped middle of people who are just like, yeah, who, who have who have very kind of like basic views about housing. Like, oh, new, look at this new housing. Look at the rents. So expensive. But like, if you literally... And again, this is maybe too optimistic of you, but in my experience, there are many people, you know, my parents, I had to, it took me five minutes to turn them into a Yimby because they're like, oh, wow, that makes sense. Cool. <laughs> you know, and I think there are a lot of people, I, I am optimistic about the role that, that education plays in this. And if you can mobilize just some number of those people to come out and say, hey, yeah, this is good. Um, then it's pretty easy to outnumber the, the radical, the, the, the hardcore, no, never folks. So I suppose, like, personally, I mean, I, I wouldn't I don't know if i call this pushing back, but I think I become disillusioned to a degree in the peninsula of, like, oh, you need to kind of fight for a few more developments, you know, get your little victories. And I think when you're talking about the Palo Alto City Council or something, you realize, like, there's an ameliorative effect of having a few more, but, like, it's a drop in the bucket. And I think when things are so screwed up for decades and decades, we don't need moderate fixes we need big fixes. And I, I, that's why I've been a lot more kind of, yeah, we need big, big, big state bills. We need kind of top-down planning, like the housing elements. And I suppose the big question is that you're really kind of visioning. It's not just, okay, let's, you know, fight for a few more developments, but like, yeah, this is like regional planning, you know, back in the, back in 1960, there was like, I think the Census Bureau was making predictions of the next 60 years for different counties and they expected Marin to go up to, you know, from 200,000 to like near a million, you know, I think oh, certainly over 700,000. And they just plateaued in 1965, you know, they just never. And I suppose the question is, okay, now you're now, you know, now we're here, we're planning for the future. What should, like, should Marin get up to a million? You know, should it be up to 2 million? I don't know. Like, like if, like, is this, is that too crayon uh, Or is there a point in kind of imagining what is, what is Marin you know, 2030, 2040, 2050? Well, I really do think we need to move our mindset from um, uh, housing is bad to housing is good. And that is what we're working on. You know, I would have a hard time saying, oh, we should be a million people or two million people. I think the Bay Area just needs to change its mind that stopping housing is good and allow it to develop where it it develops and be a lot more um, willing to let things happen. But I did want to respond to something that you said. I don't think the education is enough and what we're doing in terms of 
trying to change the political will is enough. It does require the state laws that are happening. But I do think this education piece is really, really important so that we're not riling up um, the opposition to the state laws so that people can see, oh, yeah, SB 35, that was really scary. But actually, it's good because housing's getting built. So it, we but we are way past the time for incremental changes. <laughs> we need big, big changes in order to solve the housing needs in the Bay Area in California overall. Yeah, yeah. I think take both of them. I was just going to say, I think that's the uh, education. I think, yeah, I, I think you, we want to make sure you're not doing a bait and switch. It's like, oh, don't be afraid of duplexes. It's like, well, yeah, that's true, but, you know, we need a lot more in duplexes. I mean, earlier you're talking about, you know, Paris density. And I think that's being a lot more honest about in this area, what kind of density we're looking at. But, you know, I suppose that's a question. I think be educating, but also not trying to make an easier pitch, but being honest about the real need. Uh, but, but go ahead, what you were going to say? Yeah, I mean, I was just saying, like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't want it to come across that, like, we think that we can just, like, educate our way into, like, ending the housing crisis in Miami, and that would be ridiculous. And I think that, you know, speaking for myself, I, you know, I, actually, I don't know, Jenny, like, I don't know the history of what, what bills Mech has, like, written letters of support for, but, I mean, I think the, the, the state policy that we have is good and still needs to go further, and, and certainly, like, you know, there's no way we'd be seeing the production that we're seeing currently in Marin without a bunch of the the bills that have been written. And so more needs to happen, you know, but what we can, what, what, we don't work at the state level, either, either, you know, our organization is not in, is not in Sacramento. We can talk to our, our elected reps, you know, our, our Senator and, and assembly member, but, but, you know, we're working at the local level and we're working to try to like support the projects that are happening and change the minds of electeds. So they don't write a letter of opposition to the next SB9 and said they're neutral or, or you know, write a letter of support or something. You know, that's, that's the work we can do at the local level. As far as like the population of, of Marin, right? Like I kind of suspect that like, un unless laws are written at the state level that apply very differently between counties, whatever law would make Marin go to a million would make San Francisco go to 4 million, presumably. Oh, yeah. And so like there wouldn't be, I don't think, I don't know if there's that much of it. Other, I don't know if there's enough demand to get San Francisco to 4 million. Marin will probably be always less, you know, less in demand than, than San Francisco. But I mean, again, like, like Jay was saying, you could very easily double Marin's population. Again, you could double Marin's population by building triplexes in the flats like that. Yeah, double I mean, is easy if you're right. Yeah. 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 I think you could easily double our population and people would barely even notice. You know, yeah. There's... yeah, and th and then there'd be a bunch more businesses and that you could walk to and go like, our and restaurant scene would be so much better. <laughs> from the from the transportation side, like like this is and this is why I kind of just to touch on my role in the in the bike coalition and and kind of why I'm interested in the the the, the cross pollination of this work is that you know a, a you could have a place that is fun to bike in that is not dense, like Sonoma County or Big Sur, like that's all very nice. But a place that is livable to bike in has to be dense. Mm. Like it, it can't. Like where I grew up in the burbs of Maryland, like the grocery store was five and a half miles away. Like that's not even with an e-bike, that's too far. Like no one's gonna do that. Like like along a collector road, like no one will do that. Where I live in Berkeley, Berkeley Bowl is four blocks away. Like it's really easy to hop on my bike put the panniers on, ride to the store, get $150 worth of groceries and ride home. And that's, that you know, like, that's because of this density, because there is so much residential density in Berkeley, there should be more, but there's enough to support this, you know, quite a few grocery stores um, within a very easy biking distance. And so, 
I this is something that I think actually I had a post on Twitter about this maybe a year or so ago, but that that like the the bike advocacy community needs to to do work in itself to make to make people realize how much housing plays into bikeability. I feel like Yimbies get the importance of trend of like of fostering walking and biking because they understand that cars and and dense development don't work together. But so many people come to the bicycle advocacy world. Not everybody, by any means, but many people come from like the recreational side and don't understand the role that that infill housing, and especially infill commercial, which is there to support that housing, will have in making a bike a, a place where living by bike is really easy. Yeah, I I, I guess uh, I think we'll get back to the kind of local you know, work in Marin, but uh, as far as like biking goes, I think I saw some people make some kind of you know arguments. This is a Matt Burning argument that as far as like cities, you know, unfortunately. Density isn't enough because the more you build densely right now, it means the more cars you have. Like Manhattan has more cars per you know square mile than kind of a sleepy suburb. And I think there's vehicular bicyclists who I think know what they're doing and are you know are fearless. I, mean, I think kind of too fearless in my mind. I'm a coward. I I don't ride if there's a car anywhere near me. So like, I I feel. I mean, I think obviously you're you know doing stuff to make stuff more safely. Uh, but I I guess I would just love to see that kind of you know necessarily go hand in hand. You know, dense but also completely separated bike bike trails and everything. Yeah, and and I will say Marin. Again, Marin's a really interesting place, and you really can't talk about the county as a whole. You have to talk about like pieces of county. There, there are places in Marin, Central Marin, like Cordillera and uh, Mill Valley, where 80, 90 percent of the kids get to middle and ele- or get to el- get to middle school walking and biking. Hmm. Like it is like there are parts of it that are incredibly walkable and bikeable. It's 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 again, it's, it's dense pre-war, just post-war single family housing or, you know, or kind of there is a bunch of like, you know, pre-war missing metal in Marin. I'm guessing like old and, rail stations, like like that was and, the hub and, back in the day. Exactly. And yeah. because, because Marin was built around, uh, again, around commuter railroad, elect- electrified commuter railroad, people would hop on the train, take it to Saucedo, get on the ferry, go to San Francisco. And so in, in this central Southern Marin, you know, there are all these, all those railroads were turned to bike paths and like, it's really easy to get around kind of like off street or on very like pleasant neighbor neighborhood streets in Cormadera Mill Valley. And I don't think that, I think you could add twice as many people without adding a ton of like, without adding a ton of ton more like bike car interaction in some of those places in Novato, which is, is all post-war development in it's the, the, the northernmost city in Marin. That's a much more challenging environment. It's like very wide streets on street parking on every street uh, you know, multi-lane roads, really very little bike infrastructure. That is a place where, you know, if you added a bunch of density, they probably would be adding a bunch of cars. And, and that, you know, that's kind of the challenge of like, where do we focus on having that? I don't know what the, I don't, I don't see many kind of uh, visions of fixing post-war developments that seem like, oh yeah, that's going to work. Cause honestly, it just seems so hard. Yeah. I mean, it is hard. I mean, a lot of it, you know, like a lot, that, I guess just to, again, to, to be, again, maybe too much of an optimist, you know, you look at Davis, you know, like what they did in the 70s was start to just build a bunch of like side paths. And this is actually Davis is like the 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 origin story of the vehicular cyclists because they didn't like they didn't want to be forced off the road because they thought, oh, we'll be going too slow on these side paths above the curb. So let's 
fight that and st- stick on the road where, where we belong. And so like kind of where Davis zigged, like the rest of California zagged. Mm. And then we see the results. Davis has all these separated bike paths that are that like the, the roads might be wide, but if you have a place to bike above the curb, you know, next to the road, people will do it. And you see just, uh, you know, massive bike share in Davis compared to the rest of California. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I guess- do want to make a plug because various cities have done it. And I know Rotterdam is very famous that they were completely car dependent and they've pretty much kicked the cars out. But closer to home, Seattle, um, I saw an incredible stat that they grew their population 20% and traffic went down largely because of the bike commuting that they put in place and some transit. A lot of bus service, yeah. Yeah, but it, it can be done. And I think in Marin, there's just so much room to improve the bike infrastructure. I'm in Sausalito and I walk down Bridgeway all the time and I'm like, this could be so much better. It could be so much better and so much safer if we took some of that car space away and converted it to bike space and reduced the speed. Nobody needs to drive 45 miles an hour down the street in Sausalito, but they do. I don't have a whole lot of reference for uh, Novato. Is Novato like cul-de-sac land up there? Like, is that kind of, like, and I it's suppose that's a not, question. Not, like, not, not quite. Uh, it's kind of half and half. It, it's okay. actually fairly gridded, but it's, but again, like all the collector streets are like four lanes with a median and on-street parking on both sides. It's larger lots, like probably like third, you know, maybe 10,000 foot lots or something like that. 10,000 square foot lots. It's not like total suburb cul-de-sacville, mm-hmm. um, but it's not, it's like just a step uh, more urban than that. I, I don't know if anybody's ever done it, but like it feels like there's obvious ways to like fix cul-de-sacs through pedestrian walkthroughs and bike like bike bike throughs. I don't know like you know what the has it ever been done at scale because it seems I like know, not that I know of. And the interesting thing with Novato again, you have these challenges, these sort of like conflicting challenges, challenges and opportunities. Novato has the right of way. I mean, the public rights of way are so wide, you could just do a protected bike lane on every street in Novato. And all of a sudden, it'd be just much more bikeable. But instead, they choose on-street parking on every street mm-hmm. in Nevada. And, and so that's just like a question of political will um, and money. They're 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 running a deficit every year because like problems that 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 you know are the case across California. There was you know Prop 13. You just have these broke you know cities with wealthy, wealthy people, but the cities themselves are broke. Um, but but that's like that's my job is to try to convince people to recommend so the members of the public and the and the council, the councils that govern the cities, that a better allocation of space would be one that actually lets people uh, have choices other than other than driving everywhere. Which today, it, driving everywhere in Nevada is the obvious choice because yeah. doing anything else, again, like I speak as someone who rides a ton, I, I don't like riding on a busy road with no bike lane. Like no one wants to. <laughs> yeah. So okay, enough about bikes for the moment. Let's get back to housing. Uh, so sure. your orgs, uh, do like have you been active on the ground as far as housing elements and uh, other work as far as that goes? And if so, yeah, just kind of get into kind of what that looks like. The work you've been doing. Uh, sure, we've reviewed every uh, Marin jurisdiction housing element and provided comments to the jurisdictions themselves and to HCD, and we're really pushing that they try harder to get housing built. Um, so we've commented on the sites when we have specific site knowledge, and we've commented a lot on the policies also, um, and to upzone more 
broadly and to um, just allow more housing to be built. I really have an issue with the general strategy of the housing element, which seems to be to uh, pick specific sites and just upzone those and try to reach your arena numbers that way. I would really like to see the state push that cities upzone more broadly. There's no reason that 80% of the residential land in Marin should be single family homes. Yeah, I mean, it seems like at least the cities I paid the most attention to, their housing you know, element, site inventory, it is very much of where can we scrape together sites so we don't have to touch residential. And especially if you're talking about a place that does have obvious places of residential, which is around like transit hubs, like it's like they will do anything uh, at least a lot of places out there, they'll do anything to avoid upzoning single family homes near like a transit center. And boy, like, and they'll say, oh, let's, let's, let's tear down this community center. Let's tear down all these supermarkets and stuff people need because like, it's like, it just, it's not good. And I, I mean, I, I, I suppose there's an answer for this, you know, HCD should flunk them, you know, I think they should. And the question is, are they, I guess, how far are you with housing elements up in Marin? Are you up in the flunking stage? Has anyone flunked? Um, well, so far, the only housing element that's been certified is Sausalito, which is a whole nother story on its own. Um, I would say all of us that have been watching it have been very surprised that that was the first one that HCD passed. Um, the rest of them, you know, are they flunking them? HCDs required them all to go through other rounds. There are a few housing elements that are close. San Rafael, I think, is very close. Marin County is very close. Corte Madera, I believe, is close. And I think those, well, San Rafael and um, Corte Madera specifically, I think, had pretty decent housing elements. Um, the other ones are all at various stages. Fairfax just submitted their first draft to HCD earlier this month. So, so talk more about the uh, Sausalito one. The Sausalito one. That, um, that was really a travesty in my mind. Um, they... And I'm still surprised that HCD approved it. Um, it was not a good site inventory. And the it wasn't a good site inventory, and the process was a joke. The, the aspect that Sausalito is most famous for is the underwater sites that they had on the site inventory. HCD responded that those sites weren't necessary to have a passable housing element. Mm. Um, the reality is there was very little buffer without those sites. Um, and even without that, a election is required for half of the sites that are on the housing element. And Sausalito really hasn't put in a decent alternative if the election doesn't pass. Um, and that to us was the most fundamental issue. If the Sausalito residents don't believe there's any consequence if they don't pass um, this ordinance that allows the housing to be built, they're going to turn it down. And um, the housing won't get built. So we're really, really disappointed that HCD approved that. Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about, you know, surprise that HCD doesn't approve. Like, it makes it like HCD is a monolith. I mean, I, I've been kind of hearing whispers and stuff like how this works behind the scenes. And it, sound, like, it sounds like they're definitely, it's a house divided. They have people over there who really are like housing cops, you know, like in the good sense. You know, they really want to bust heads of bad cities. And some people... Uh, 
you know, are either very complicit or just don't care or incompetent or whatever. So it's a luck of the draw of, you know, what kind of what kind of folks you get on the case, which is, yeah, yeah you'd hope there'd be a rubric would be like a lot less discretion. But unfortunately, no. Yeah. I mean, each because each city just gets assigned a reviewer, I guess. Is that is that your understanding? That's this is understanding. my understanding. Yeah, from I think it sounds like one guy, you know, there. one guy. Gal. Yeah. And and they might be either more stringent or, or less so. Yeah. That is the case, but I will say the Sausalito reviewer has been a lot tougher on some of the other Marin jurisdictions. Oh, no. That's too bad. That's too bad. It's too too bad they're not like a cream puff (laughs) overall, you know? Sausalito, like, to me, I mean, it's one of the first places when I first visited California I saw, you know, like, as part of, like, just, like, tourist stuff for going to school here, but... uh, like it seems like a theme park more than like a real city. It's just tiny. It's I, I don't know. Like is, is there? I mean, I suppose you can always throw more stuff. It doesn't seem like a real place. You know, it seems more of just a tourist hub. There are people that live there. They're that really <laughs> it's, care it's about tiny, the community. Though, right? What's the population again? <laughs> it's it's a it's a small. It's yeah. It's like eight thousand people or something. There there are small cities, right? Like <laughs> like I mean, it, it was always well, yeah. It it wasn't always a small city. Like they had this this time during World War Two. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There are people who live there. I know a bunch of people who live there. Jay lives there. It, you know, it, it is certainly a, a place that it, it is a tourist hub. It's the place where people go to, you know, it's, it's the place where people visit in Marin if they're going to one city, right? I, I guess like to me, like the future should be either it becomes a real city and you build high rises, you like, you know, build a ton of stuff in Sausalito or it becomes governed by the Fisherman's Wharf Authority. And like, it's just like they take it over as a little theme park or something. It's I, this, the fact is like, it's technically a city, but it isn't. It's just kind of goofy. It is interesting because if you attend the city council meetings in Sausalito, there are a lot of residents that are really upset that there are not more businesses and services in Sausalito that are serving the Sausalito community. Um, But if you look at it, you know, on any given day, there's probably twice as many tourists as there are residents there. So of course the businesses are going to cater to the tourists. So I keep saying, if we want businesses to cater to, (laughs) to the residents, we need more residents. We should just build. Yeah, um, you, have to, you have to outmatch them in numbers. You know, it's a yeah, it's a yeah. battle. Uh, t- talk more about uh, affirmatively furthering fair housing and the housing elements, and what this means, and also how it how it has an opportunity for tenant protections and anti displacement efforts as the plans are developed, and how that's been working out in practice. Well, I'll start with the second one first, which is the tenant protections, and I will say, Mac, uh, along with several other of the Marin nonprofits have been very active in the housing element process, ensuring that tenant protections are being put in place. And that is a really important issue for Marin right now. Um, There have been several cases recently where institutional investors have come in and bought apartment buildings and increased rents to the maximum level. Um, We've heard that we are a target because we do not have protections in place. So we are pushing that very heavily right now. In terms of the affirmatively furthering fair housing, Marin is kind of weird because we've got so many jurisdictions. And when you want to talk about affirmatively furthering fair housing in Tiburon or Belvedere, the number one thing you can do is just allow housing to be built. It really doesn't matter what side of town it's put on. And I think that's the case with Sausalito, too. We just need more housing. That's going to be the number one thing that we can do to affirmatively further fair housing. Because in Marin, it's not like this. I mean, the cities kind of setting aside like unincorporated county and San Rafael, like the cities themselves are not 
within within the city, the city is not segregated. It is the city's existence, yeah. kind of like separate from the rest of the bay. That is that is that segregation within an unincorporated county and and San Rafael, which which Jenny touched on earlier. San Rafael is home to a neighborhood called the Canal, another <laughs> another lower lower in, low income neighborhood that is also like remarkably cut off from the rest of Marin. Again, by this time, by the uh, the 580 freeway uh, and and the eponymous waterway, the, the San Rafael Canal. Is it, in those cities, you do have like in those in those two jurisdictions, you do have this question of like, well, where do we site the housing? But every, to everywhere else, like Tiburon, Tiburon or Belvedere, are just like, you just got to have more housing there. Yeah. But I was thinking, like, earlier when I was talking about, you know, Marin City, it's like, oh, they're piling on the housing there. You know, it makes it sound like housing is scary and bad. And I, I do think if you're only, if you're, if you're putting all your pressure on just the most marginal communities, I think that's a gambit to raise land values in a place that is, you know, going to be bad. I mean, that is, that's authentically what the gentrification looks like when people just get outpaced by the land values. But, you know, one, you know, it's a matter of having better balance. I I think there is certainly no harm in, you know, building as much as you can in the most rich areas on down, even, you know, basically have the cutoff, you know, median income, have the cutoff 30% and above. I mean, I, I think as long as you're not exclusively on the bottom end, it's pretty, pretty, pretty safe. But on top of it, sure, throw all the tenant protections and displacement on top of it, too. And, you know, I, I we're getting the state level. I, I guess the question is, at the local level, what is, what is that looking like for tenant protections? Is this going to outpa- outpace what you're getting AB 1482? Well, it's really interesting. Fairfax actually recently implemented the most stringent tenant protections in the state. And um, I think everybody involved in the passage of it would say it went a bit too far. And because of that, um, the landlords have really gotten traction and riling up a lot of fear about it. And at this point, um, it's really getting a bit crazy. There's um, There appears to be quite a bit of institutional money that's going in to fight the tenant protections there. And Fairfax is another tiny town, kind of similar to Sausalito. I think it's seven, 8,000 people. And so you would think institutional money could care less if there was tenant protections in Fairfax. But what we're hearing is that they see that as a toehold and they don't want it to take form. Um, there are apparently all sorts of TV ads playing in Fairfax against it, mailers going out to all the residents, they a lot of up. misleading wow. information that's happening in an attempt to... Uh, turn it over. And it's almost certainly going to be on the ballot now um, because they've collected enough signatures. So people are really watching it very, very closely, not just in Fairfax, but in the the rest of Marin. Well, when you say like it crossed a line and upset landlords, what line? I mean, I always kind of treat like Costa Hawkins is a pretty strong guardrail. It's hard to go too far as far as, you know, making them inordinately upset insofar as there's limits i guess the question is like what 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 did they do that seemed to really trigger i think there are two big issues and one much more clear-cut than the other but the tenant protections which is both rent stabilization and eviction protections apply to if you rent a room in your house and if you rent an adu and so You know, if you let somebody rent a room in your house and you're having a problem with them, you don't want to be stuck living with them for the rest of your life. And and that's something that's really 
been used to rile people up. And same with ADUs, you know, to a certain extent, I feel a little better about, um, you know, more rent stabilization in the ADUs. But if you're renting out an ADU in your backyard and your tenant is a real problem and blasting music and not being a good neighbor, you shouldn't be forced to live with somebody on your property. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just cause is just cause, but I understand when it's personal, people get, uh, you know, a bit more uh, timid. Uh, but I mean, I will say like, it is kind of interesting when people talk about mom and pop landlords. It usually means like, oh, anyone under 15 units or something. It's like there are real mom and pops who are people who are renting a room out. And honestly, like there's a lot of dead weight insofar as there's a lot of empty bedrooms that could be rented out. And mm-hmm. like as far as it goes, like I am, we need a ton more institutional, big, real, you know, apartments with real tenant protections. Like I think kind of bespoke renting rooms inside of single family homes and everything else. It's like I could take her like it's that isn't my biggest fight for tenant protection. So uh, I think there needs to be some sort of, you know, guardrails for everybody, including people who rent rooms. But like they aren't the same as institutional people with capacity, and I think it it is it's it's difficult to thread that needle. Yeah, and, and I and it it seems as though, like Jay was saying, that say we, we feel however you feel, like morally, at least from a political standpoint, like the Fairfax City Council Town Council seems to have like gone farther than than they could or they than they maybe should have, and there's there's a big backlash, and it's gonna it's probably gonna get gonna get repealed, and like who knows what will happen to the people on council. But it sounds like this isn't like the thing like a CAA you know mobilized. It sounds like this is a real kind of grassroots like mom and pop landlords, right? No, no, the, this is the thing that I have heard, and I cannot. You can't yet access where the money is coming from. That there is a very strong belief that there is institutional money that is going into fighting this. And while there okay. are a lot of mom and pop landlords in Fairfax, they aren't all mom and pop landlords. And there have been institutional buyers for several complexes in Marin, and their fear is. If they don't overturn it in Fairfax, it will spread to to the rest of Marin. What they are pushing for is not just the repeal of this ordinance that was passed. They are pushing that all the tenant protections beyond the state level be repealed, which includes tenant protections that Fairfax already had greater yeah. than the state level before this was passed. So they they're they're demanding that Fairfax go back further and reduce what they had in place. Oh, wow. And I think that I think that like something that people don't appreciate really when they think about Marin is like I was, I was trying to like find an old tweet that I where I posted this, but like what sh- that, that there is like there is a substantial amount of multifamily housing in Marin. Like people think, I think people think of Marin, oh, the home place, you know, birthplace of conservation. It's all single family. Like no, because so much development happened before the seventies. And nothing has happened since the 70s. There's actually a, a substantial amount of multifamily. Like several jurors, like the city of Larkspur is majority renter. Mm. The city of San Rafael is like is like 42 or 48, 52 rent. You know, like um, just 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 minority, barely minority renter. So you know, I think that kind of to Jenny's point, you know, like I don't remember what the numbers are in Fairfax, but something like 40, 60 renter, you know. Uh, homeowner and and there are like a number of like fairly large buildings in Fairfax and I think that them 
the second thing I think that people outside who are paying attention to Marin like can be excused for not knowing that like Marin is kind of like weirdly right now a couple of cities in Marin are like weirdly at the at the leading edge of tenant protections, and and I think that folks this you know some people at the state level are noticing that like at least from the Realtors Association. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess like I just. I guess I just consider the anti-tenant protection places and other cities to be really clueless. Like, it, like in places like the peninsula, I've seen a lot of times they just send a CAA person there to uh, the you know, apartments association landlords lobby. Uh, but they'll send one person who's like, Oh, this is a bad idea. You know, uh, this is, you know, you're going to stop, uh, the incentives to build housing. It's like, you're not the people fighting for housing. Like, and the people in city council don't really care either. But to f- actually find a real wedge issue locally, which is the kind of, you know, the mom and pop renting rooms and ADUs, and if they are able to exploit that wedge issue to peel back a lot of protections, that's actually the first competent thing I've seen from them, like, at like politically in a while. So uh, I, I guess I, I didn't see that coming because they seem pretty incompetent, but that's pretty scary, and I, I need to keep better tabs of this stuff. Yeah, I was pretty surprised when... I saw the extent of what was happening and the amount of resources that was behind the effort. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll definitely, I, I think I, I'll, I'll fess up. I've been ignoring essentially everything in Marin <laughs> local news for a while. So uh, I think it's egg in my face. I, I think that's pretty typical. <laughs> well, because it doesn't get coverage, unless you're reading the Marin IJ, it doesn't really get coverage elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like I haven't seen an article in the Chronicle about Fairfax, have you, Jenny? I feel like we we would know. <laughs> well, and it's so small. I think people just think, oh, it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. And um, in this case, I don't think that it is inconsequential. And, and there are just to kind of like to broaden it, you know, there are also rent control fights happening in the city of Larkspur. There was a big council meeting about about kind of like again where to set. They're trying to set a, a lower ceiling below um, fourteen eighty two. You know, and and you know, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of conflict in the council there about like what what number you set that at. So again, I think that people don't know that rent control is kind of such a hot issue in Marin in a way that I'm, I don't know if it is in, in other cities in California at the moment. It, it, it flares up. I think you, you need a lot of local mobilization. And I, I think, you know, good on folks if they can get that energy. A lot of places, it's very hard to mobilize folks. And I suppose my frame, like my general frame of reference is the more kind of like suburban and, you know, kind of out of the way and expensive tenants get demobilized so uh it's surprising to see it kind of happen little little hotbeds and and jenny do you know like who who is it who has been doing all the rent control organizing because i know that there was like they have really been like this is like last year they were getting like hundreds of people to call into the fairfax and san selmo city council like just asking them like to agendize it and that's kind of where this this came from right yeah and i don't know all the details on the politics, but I do know that the DSA has been involved mm-hmm. in organizing people. I know Legal Aid and Canal Alliance have been very involved in this. But, you know, it, it's funny when you talk about the organizing. I have a friend whose daughter works at Trader Joe's after school, and um, somebody got all of the Trader Joe's employees that are renting to show up. And I thought that was brilliant, but... Um, yeah, it's, I don't it's know like who when it you was. spread out their house, it's hard to mobilize people to residents, but at their workplace, you know, workplaces are famously uh, an easier place to mobilize people than at, at their homes. And again, just kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, like because there is this, like, I think, larger share of renters in in many 
towns or cities and random people realize like there is actually a fairly like there, there's a decent audience for for organizing around rent control yeah no it's, it's interesting unlike that... unlike some suburb where like you know everyone owns their homes like you know what's rent control what's what's rent <laughs> right no absolutely uh yeah we've been going a bit over a bit long here but uh, i think just wrapping up in any other kind of you know uh you know pants in the stove that uh, you want to make sure we cover before we wrap up here i guess the the point that i always like to make and that i like people to to walk away with marin is just an incredibly beautiful place and you can't be here and not be blown away by the physical beauty but as you go around the built environment really stinks it is not attractive we have a lot of really unattractive commercial strips and strip malls and um i do love that one a and w you have up there that's a nice a and w on the highway yeah it's it's highway. there's a real opportunity to to make it so much better than it is today yeah and i i love that jenny and, and kind of like touching on that you know i think this is you know the the place where like bike advocates and housing advocates should do their epic handshake is on parking reform um, and also beautification advocates because like, so, you know, so much of a remarkable amount of Marin is just kind of paved surface parking. Like you walk around downtown Santa Fe, it's like, how is there so much parking here? And so that's something that, that we're trying to, you know, I, I think there's a lot of room to do, to do work on and, and education on because people are so uneducated on, on, um, you know, the, the cost impacts of parking, um, the environmental impacts of parking and the opportunity cost of uh, of having so much of our city be devoted to surface parking, and so that's actually a, a, a post I'm working on for uh, for Mac about. And I'm going to cross run with um, the Bike Coalition just to try to do more uh, education about like how when we do infill both housing and commercial, we make our cities prettier and we give space for more people to live here and more things more space for things uh, for their things to do uh i mean it's never a bad time to just go to the next tier of of stuff and maximum parking laws everywhere you know i think it's not i mean it's it's a bit pie in the sky it's not unserious in my mind and and it's just kind of to touch on that so there is so there is a a big master plan development happening in uh san rafael right now at the at the northgate mall it's like a, a mostly moribund mall um kind of over the hill just north of downtown San Rafael. They're kind of the long-term plan for it is like 2,100 units. So they're, they're, you know, tearing down a bunch of these old, you know, commercial buildings like the, the you know, the Macy's and, and putting in housing there. That said, it, it's right. So it, it is right next to the Smart station. Smart is the yeah. uh, commuter rail line that goes from the Sonoma and Marin commuter rail line. So it's in the catchment area for for ab 2011 so in theory they actually are required to do provide no parking there nice. uh, and i've had conversations with the developer because we're we're pushing for some some bike improvements there and he was entirely unmoved by um by ab 2011 so like you know, there is this is like this bespeaks the need for parking maximums yeah i was like hey you, you don't have to provide they're providing thousands of parking places they're actually adding parking because they're, they're structuring a bunch of the parking so there's going to be more parking there more spaces there in the future than there are today even though it'd be a bunch of housing and i said hey like 
maybe don't give, provide so much parking. He's like, ah, oh, this is the suburbs. Everyone's going to drive. We have to have parking. You can't sell it otherwise. I mean, I, it's you know? like, <laughs> it makes sense. Like yeah. no one ever got fired from putting too many parking spaces. And that's the problem. You know, that's why you need yeah, policy. And then he just, yeah. And they'll just charge a little bit more for the units and everybody walks away winning except for the people who want to live there. <laughs> yeah. You need real weirdos, <laughs> courageous folks or, you know, or you need policy. And I, I, I vote yeah. for policy, but uh, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, one final question. I mean, is, is scaling up ferries, like I, the future of Marin, like is like, I mean, there are ferries that work at real capacity. Look at the Staten Island Ferry. Look at, you know, Hong Kong. There's ferries that run a ton of stuff. Could you add more or is it just too perilous or like long of a voyage or whatever? There used to be two ferry terminals in Sausalito and now there's only one. Seems to me like you could have a lot more going on. You've probably looked at it more than I have, though. Uh, I mean, this is kind of not, I don't want to get out over my skis. And this start this is all blue sky. I mean, I'm just kind of curious, just like kind of imagining, <laughs> yeah. you know, Star I mean, Trek then, future Marin. Yeah. I mean, if, but then this is kind of like still thinking about Marin as a bedroom community for San Francisco, which I hope we start to have to move past. Like, we should have more jobs in Marin and more, there should be more housing in San Francisco, you know, like, you know, can choose where they want to live. But I, I don't think we should be just thinking about, oh, we should be facilitating this kind of just as monodirectional commute. Obviously, like ferry service is really great as like a regional transportation system because the water's there and like it would be hard to build another train line over the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, but I, I, as someone who doesn't own a car, I look, I really look forward to a future where the, I, I hope for a future where ferries are, you know, more frequent than every hour and a half because it'd be much easier to get around the bay. Yeah, my, my husband and I actually took the ferry to dinner in San Francisco a couple weeks ago and we realized that the last ferry back was at 7:30 or something like oh, that no. so it was totally useless as a as a mode of transportation we had to uber home which seemed a little beside the point yikes but uh with, with that sad note i think uh, let's wrap up here it's been a pleasure to talk and uh, yeah thanks for uh, making time here mark well, thank you so for, yeah thanks so much for having us mark it was a pleasure perfect we have been talking to jenny sullivan warren wells all about marine county you can hear this episode and all previous episodes of this radio program at the, the website, seethecat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU, Stanford, 91.9. <laughs>